everyone. As always, I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you a special Friday mini-sode of Safe Room to take you into the first week of October. Recently, I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to chat with award-winning composer Nanita Desai about her time scoring Sam Barlow and Half Mermaid's recently released title, Immortality. In addition to Nanita's work in games, she's a BAFTA Breakthrough Brit and two-time Emmy-nominated composer. Most recently earning Emmy, HMMA, and ASCAP Composer Choice nominations for her score to 14 Peaks, Nothing is Impossible. And I'm pleased to say that her score for Immortality has been submitted for consideration to the Grammy's brand new category of Best Score Soundtrack for Video Games and Other Interactive Media. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Nanita Desai on Immortality. Enjoy. Nanita, welcome to the show. Hey, lovely to be here today. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. You know, first I have to say, of course, congratulations on the release of Immortality and the uh, critical reception it's received. My co-host, Neil, who unfortunately can't join us today, and I were both raving about this a few weeks ago uh, on the podcast when we had uh, one of our critic friends on to chat. And we really just kind of talked about, you know, how Immortality is a game that serves as a standout of not only the year, but really it reminds people that maybe are a little more dismissive of the video game genre and the medium itself that you really can't put games, FMV or otherwise, into a box. No, absolutely. It's um, And that's what's so great about working with Sam is that, uh, and what we've been trying to do is to transcend all barriers. Um, I mean, I, I see this kind of gaming as the future of entertainment, um, you know, where it's totally nonlinear, it's film. Uh, I mean, obviously, full motion video game, games have been in, in favor and out of favor over the decades in various forms. But I think um, Sam has landed on a unique approach that engages the audience um, in a in a different way. And um, you know, we all want, we all watch films and TVs, and we binge watch content all the time. And I think you know, in trying to instead of being a passive viewer, viewers are being more sophisticated in demanding in the way they consume content. They want to. Let's be more interactive and let them control uh, the, the the storytelling. Obviously, we're with we're within a. It's not an endless open field game, you know, with hundreds of hours of content. It's sort of maximum, say, eight to ten hours. But within that, the way that you navigate the non-linear aspects are really, really interesting and create for a different experience every time you you play the game. I think. Absolutely. And, you know, it's one of those things, too, that the game's allowing you to interact with film footage in different ways and the way that you can manipulate that and the nonlinear nature, right? When I initially played this at Tribeca, there was like a 30-minute demo, and it was one of those things where it was both a blessing and a curse because I was so excited to dive further into that. But in 30 minutes, it was so overwhelming. But in, you know, really getting to sit down with the full game once it was released and spend time with it, it is this engrossing thing that's unlike, I would say, any other FMV game I've ever played. And even just to label it as FMV is not necessarily always going to do it the justice and the depth with which it goes into. And just that interactivity and the jumping through time periods and the whole mystery aspect of it. You know, we were blown away, frankly, by, you know, just the storytelling that was here. And, you know, of course, your score has a great deal in capturing that mood and atmosphere and Correct me if I'm not mistaken, but I believe that your score is in the running 
uh, as one of the first nominees for the Grammys recently announced uh, new category, best score soundtrack for video games and other interactive media? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been submitted, uh, so we'll see how it does. Um, it's not your uh, AAA game uh, by any means, but it's it sits in its own space. So uh, so yeah, I'm really thrilled and excited about the fact that the Grammys have finally acknowledging uh, you know video game music uh, as a as a unique art form you know in its own separate category so so we'll see how it how the whole category does and um uh yeah i'm very excited about that finally games music is coming into its own field i mean you know i've been scoring film and television for for many years and uh uh, games music i know so many games composer colleagues and friends who you know we're recording with orchestras and we have cinematic sensibilities in mind when we're scoring for games so um but i think you know scoring in this space is very there's so much opportunity it's it's a different craft in its own right you know there's so many technical um considerations that are very different from scoring linear um game um content so yeah Grammys, here we come uh, for the first time this year. Well, we'll definitely be rooting for you. But, you know, in talking about your transitioning from primarily film and television to video games, and, you know, for those that don't know, Immortality is not the first time you've worked with Sam Barlow. Uh, you composed his 2019 game, Telling Lies. How was that initial, you know, transition from composing for film and television to games? Well, I mean, I, I like to challenge myself by working in lo- from project to project. It, they're all very different. Um, I mean, I actually, people don't really know this, but I actually started composing for video games before I did anything else. Uh, when I first started my career, uh, I used to create sound effects and, and music for games. Uh, I have a background in sound design on feature films. So... Um, so I, I, you know, wrote music for uh, a Microsoft Flight Simulator and uh, and Pro Pinball and cheap for Nintendo and uh, PlayStation One and uh, and um, and then my career sort of digressed and moved into film and TV by default and various um, sort of opportunities that came my way. So um, so I moved away from games, moved into film and TV, and then um, and then I um, Sam just approached me totally out of the blue in 2016. Um, it seems gone. It seems so recent. It's quite a while ago. And, um, and he just reached out to me via Twitter on a direct message uh, and said, have you ever scored for, um, for, uh, you know, um, for, for a uh, video game in an interactive film, actually, that's how he described it. And I said, uh, is this a prank? You know, and, <laughs> It's a mate of mine playing a prank because, you know, I was really uh, always sort of interested in in scoring for nonlinear for for games. And um, I said, uh, okay. Um, And he said, look, I'm sorting out the contract. I'll be in touch in a few months time. And um, and I just forgot about it. And then a few months later, sure enough, Sam came through and contacted me and said, uh, OK, contracts all signed. Let's go. Uh, I thought, oh, right. OK, this guy's serious. Um, so for me, it was a dream project, you know, to combine my love of film and, and with telling lies. Um, we were really inspired by and the game is inspired by uh, old uh, Hollywood Kind of, kind of spy thriller, covert 
uh, spy movies, um, uh, films like um, Sam loves film. Mm. You know, he has a big love of film, and, and so do I. And so, um, you know, films like The Conversation and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and those sort of modern noir, old film noir references were a big inspiration for telling lies. But the you know that the approach for that was to write themes for characters and here with immortality we were taking it one step further um the the game immortality is ambitious compared to telling lies it's ambitious in every way so you know in terms of the the crafting the cinematography and uh, you know we've got three movies here <laughs> um, and, uh, and 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 a much bigger cast and so on a practical level it, it wasn't logistically viable for me to write 10 hours more footage as well it wasn't viable for me to write a 10 hours of music so we decided to write a theme for each of the films in immortality and and then the discussion you know we'd have lot in depth long in depth conversations and that's what inspires me um musically because i'm one of the big challenges is i don't have the film beforehand or or any footage sam likes to have the music before he's shot the uh, game before he's filmed it which is challenging for me as a film and TV composer because I'm used to being visually inspired. You know, you throw visuals at me and I go, yeah, I know what to do. And even with traditional games, you get um, a mood board, you get art examples of artwork and and levels of playing and, and you get to see elements of the game while you're composing. But here I don't get anything. I, I got a 280-page script and and just lots of conversations with Sam about the ideas. And he's very um, cerebral and philosophical. And the game covers a lot of philosophical ideas as well. But don't let that put you off playing it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, so so I... Sam would come up with ideas and analogies and I then that would inspire me and I would come up with Spotify playlists of stuff that inspired us. So we decided we didn't want to write a pastiche or a homage to any particular film that, you know, that, that's inspired by the game, by each of the three films. We decided to cover a theme for each concept, each idea of a film. So that's where the themes for religion, life and art come from, which are all connected to Marissa Marcel, the character, and how she grapples with mortality. Which is interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, something that we talked about in our longer chat, Neil and I, about the game was just how the music always feel. you know, we've talked about this nonlinear nature, right, of being the thing that really is what's defining exploring this MV experience that makes it so stand out, um, not only from FMV games, but again, like one of the standouts of the year for us. And I was just really impressed with the fact that you could have a score that is in this nonlinear experience and yet nothing feels like it's out of place, you know, and that's probably because of it. Like you said, it's tied to those themes. And so it's never this thing where it's like, okay, well, I'm going to be jumping around a lot. If, any, if anybody is like me, I jumped around constantly at first for the first few hours through the footage because I was just like, okay, 
what am I doing here? What does this mean? And then once you kind of get the handle on what you're doing and sort of find those little breadcrumbs of the the greater mystery, the greater story, um, it was something where you don't realize how seamless the transition is between exploring each of those films and how the music, you know, always seems to be something that um, is matching no matter what the moment is, which, you know, is not scripted uh, in terms of, you know, a specific action that I did, um, which was really, really impressive. And it was a quality of this game that, you know, when I was writing my notes and things about the game, I just left it on in the background while I was writing before it was on Spotify, just to have it on because it does capture the wonderment, the mystery, the intrigue that is the, you know, uncovering Mercer Marcel's uh, journey and whatnot. Um, I want to go back for a minute just to, again, you know, going from a background in film and TV primarily, though, as you told me, you had uh, some experience designing sound for games um, or composing for games. What was maybe an unforeseen challenge, whether it was on telling lies or immortality with that, you know, process that was so different of going off of a script and not having footage of the game or any real sense of what the game would look like maybe? Well, it was all a challenge. It was a massive challenge, you know, just not, just not, not, not having visuals, um, which means that in a way it's, it opens things up for you creatively because you can let your imagination run wild. But I mean, you know, with, um, the three, I think one of the challenges of immortality was, you know, this duality that you have in the game with the, within the music. Um, you know, Sam and I are very inspired by um, David Lynch and way, the way, you know, David Lynch portrays the, uh, a little bit like Stranger Things, you know, you have the uh, the town and then you have where the normal world goes on and then you go into the upside down and you've got this parallel world running at the same time. And it's a similar thing with David Lynch. You know, if you watch something like Blue Velvet, the opening shots of Blue Velvet, and you have the American dream and the white picket fence and the beautiful house and the green lawn outside. And then the opening shots of the film, you go down below into the dirty earth. And you've got, oh, we've got this other subterranean weird world going on underneath. And that's one of the ideas that we came across. So the challenge was we'd have a, a main theme um, uh, for each of the three movies. And the same thing kind of applied to telling lies. We'd have the main theme that that expresses the the obvious, the explicit, the, you know, the, the surface level stuff that's going on. And then when you're going diving deep into the game and you suddenly... Uh, inadvertently latch on to something uh, depending on the data, metadata and the tagging, the way the music is tagged to an object or a scene in the game um, as you're playing it uh, and, and watching a scene uh, it then switches to the subverted version of the scene which is the dark subverted version and then mapped one to one in immortality you've got the main theme playing and then you've got the supernatural theme playing at the same time. And so that was a big technical challenge, how we would subvert it and have this supernatural theme, which would kick in when something was happening, when you triggered something, and it would become this twisted, um, weird, slowed down, pitched down version of the main theme that was still connected musically, but sounded really different and in a world of its own 
and to map that one-to-one with the main theme was a real challenge technically um where we sort of created our own process of of doing that um and i think just you know there's this funny thing and just even coming up with each theme uh, like religion life and art you know when when i'll give you a strange analogy um uh when someone dies sometimes their obituary is written in the local newspaper and your and that obituary tends to be about i don't know 150 200 words so you're like summing up a whole person's life into 150 words and in a way where i'm having to write a theme for religion on the whole movie and encapsulating this whole idea into one single piece of music that's 7 minutes long how do i do that um so with something like religion okay that's connected to the um in the game that's connected to ambrosia this film from the late 60s and it's based on this notorious uh, gothic novel and so that's linked to the theme of religion and and so ambrosia is connected to this spiritual existence the the divine the uh, the spiritual power of the characters and and it's slightly fantastical with a bit of um with a little sprinkling of magic so so when you think of uh religion you instantly think oh okay um choirs and always as always with sam we're always trying to subvert it and never follow the obvious and the clichéd route so we go okay but if we're going to use choirs it's got to be in a slightly unusual twisted way so so that was that was a bit of a challenge you know like we'll never want to and i know musically i never want to follow clichés and always always have a a a a bent edge to it um so we used choirs and and sam gave me this analogy he said think of when before i was composing it of course we shared lots of playlists of music and we were taking oh this could be an interesting route to go down and so we used the orchestral palette as our foundation and then i threw in other elements like the that the choirs and the magical fantastical element but he said sam said imagine you're staring at imagine you're in a big art gallery like the louvre in paris and you're on your own in this huge room and you're just staring at a religious painting long enough to feel something of the transcendent uh pure feelings that it's trying to evoke oh yeah okay um i you know i get the vibe of what he's trying to say and i was trying to channel that that emotion that that it conjured up in me and ch- funneled it through into this um into the theme of religion in the game for or ambrosia and um and then we're subverting it you know we have the the subverted version of the theme um which is the the dark side of religion um you know like the negative aspects of um organized religion where you're inflicting cruelty to on people or controlling people so that was an interesting idea to sort of just encapsulate that in um, in one theme yeah you know jumping between the three films and them each having their own 
unique sound, obviously, but being reminiscent of something that would be from that era while still having something off about it. Uh, and, you know, as you mentioned, like the vibes of it. And this was very much a game that, you know, a lot of people, including uh, myself, have described as being Lynchian. So it's no surprise that you mentioned uh, David Lynch as being a point of reference. But as you said, like it always avoids feeling, you know, while something like Ambrosia might be viewed as being like an example of a genre film from a certain time period or something of that nature, you know, there is something about the scores for each of those films that are familiar, but there's something just a little off about them. And I think that that's, I mean, it's, I can't heap any more praise on that just because of how central that is to, you know, the overall mystery and just the feeling of this game, the sense that something is wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on it for the first, you know, hour or two of the experience. Um, I guess, you know, in now working on second game with Barlow, um, have you found that there were any approaches to games that maybe you didn't have on film or television? Uh, maybe just in your approach to designing a score for these games that maybe you could take on for film and uh, television in the future? Oh, taking on approaches of scoring for games that I would use in film and TV. Yeah, maybe just different differences. Like, you know, of of course, as a composer, there are going to be, you know, similarities between how you approach a score. But, you know, I would, I would imagine there might be one or two things that uh, were uniquely distinctive to games that maybe weren't for film or TV. Well, I mean, certainly def- in, on a technical level with games, I'm happy you're, one's used to having to write um in chunks and layers so I, i'm scoring another game uh for someone else at the moment actually and that has a more of a traditional approach um but but you know across all of that with games you know i'm having to write um themes you know several minutes long and uh, it's kind it's kind of like lego blocks modular chunks of music which can be placed in any order uh, depending on the uh, on the uh, on the on the game on the gamer and the player, but also writing in layers um, and you know sort of writing sort of in stems and layers, and that's actually a technique that I use quite frequently in film anyway. Or certain aspects of it, you know, writing in layers, um, writing a light version of a theme, a, a more dense version. So I'm supplying music to. Um, to dubbing mixers and editors and film directors um, in a in a very similar way, um, I think. Um, so that that's something that I certainly have taken away with me for games, and also writing away from getting used to writing away from picture is quite inspiring because I like to be brought on the the you know the amount of time that I'm involved in a game is much more. Uh, elongated than a film project. I get that opportunity to work on something and uh, work on a piece of music, go away, work on something else, and then come back to it a few months later. And that's the beauty of working with someone like Sam, where, you know, I spent two years, two and a half years, fine tuning and honing these themes. It doesn't seem like very much, but, you know, it's like you work on something in film and TV very fast. And you don't have the opportunity to sit back and review your work and mull it over and think, how can I make this really, really, you know, perfect it? And with games schedules, they're really spread out. So 
So one thing that I'd like to do more of, and I and I do do sometimes, is to be brought on much earlier on in the process in film and TV. You know, where you have the opportunity to write, experiment, write ideas uh, before the editing even starts, and then once you get into the pressures of, you know, the edit, then uh, then it's all hands to the pump. And uh, but at least I'll have written some off the wall ideas that you never know how they're going to end up in the in the film when they're editing so that's that's something that i'd like to carry on uh doing it's not often that you get the opportunity to do that but sometimes film clients you know they love to bring you on really early um so that's something that i really enjoy about working in games is being working on something for a long period of time and being able to go back to it have a break go back to it and really refine the uh, refine the music. I wouldn't be surprised if that has something to do with, you know, how seamless the score is. And, you know, when talking about, you know, putting something down and then coming back to it, you know, in my experience with playing Immortality, it was definitely that type of thing where maybe I would hit a patch of exploring a specific film or, you know, the clue that I thought I had uh, had dried up or maybe I was just, you know, I was at, I'd kind of hit a wall of sorts in my, my in my own personal investigation. But in, you know, stepping away and then coming back to the game, um, it was that thing where, you know, the score always is the almost like the hand-holding guide to get me back into the experience, to get me back into that world. That really does, you know, help me not to feel as maybe overwhelmed as I did initially with the game when I'm looking at it. I'm like, okay, there's three films. And then you zoom in a little bit further into it and you're like, oh my God, there's so many, there's so many different scenes from it and clips and the various types of interactions. I mean, that was one of the elements that was really impressive um, in terms of it, not just being, you know, three films, but the supplemental material that goes along with it. Um, a lot of those, you know, behind the scenes interviews where you're capturing maybe a more genuine uh, version of a person that they doesn't come across in their, you know, very uh, heavily orchestrated scenes or choreographed scenes and these things. But again, the music is always there to connect all of these various types of experiences and whatnot in a way that... Um, like I've said, it's very seamless and it's something that uh, was one of the biggest standouts for us about the game. Oh, thanks. Yeah. But what's what's uh, what's amazing about Sam, I mean, all credit to Sam, actually, and, and Natalie, uh, the producer, is that he wants the music before he's actually, you know, I, I work from the script. I will have these discussions with him and we, we go backwards and forwards a bit. But he wants the music before he's actually filmed. So like on Telling Lies, he was playing the music to the cast, to the actors, while they were filming. And so the music becomes an integral part of, you know, he even, Sam even was writing and carrying on writing, listening to the music while he's writing. So so it's all interwoven and goes hand in hand. So the music is having an influence on the narrative and on the 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 shape and the and the actual filming uh, well the rather the performances of the actors as well so that was um so that's you know and i've not worked had the opportunity to work like that with anyone else i know ennio morricone did it um you know he did it on the spaghetti westerns i think was it a, for a few dollars more or one of those the trilogy of movies where he wrote the music and then sergio leone actually played the music on set on location to the cast so and they timed everything in terms of choreography they timed the movement of the actors 
to the piece of music that, that Anio had written. Um, we didn't quite have that privilege on this, but you know, it's, it's something that has been done by actors, uh, by directors, film directors many times before. So it's a, you know, it's a great way of working. Uh, I think it's, it becomes a very seamless, organic process. Yeah, it allows that, you know, the connectivity of the vibes, as we've mentioned, to really, as we've said, be seamlessly spread throughout all aspects of the storytelling. And it's why, you know, over the last decade, two decades, you know, storytelling in games has been evolving and evolving to the point where people now are in certain mainstream outlets, it seems, are getting more attuned to the idea of viewing, um, you know, games as being just as cinematic as film, right? And I think that when it can't just be that, oh, well, we're going to frame a cutscene to make it look like a movie, right? It really is borrowing a lot of components of filmmaking and, you know, as Barlow clearly is a fan of, and blending it into this new form of interactivity that capitalizes on FMV, which has been around for decades, but doing so with more agency that is more, you know, modern gamers are uh, more attuned to or more expectant of. Um, and I think that the most fascinating, one of the most fascinating things that you've uh, mentioned is just the idea of being able to make a score and then step away from it and come back and reflect on it. Um, that's something that, you know, I would, I would think would be more common perhaps um, in games or just in film in general, right? Having something that you could have and then be going back and, you know, refreshing and seeing, you know, a new idea comes, a new uh, a new influence. Like you mentioned David Lynch earlier um, in terms of just like film references. If, oh, well, I'm going to watch a movie over the weekend and maybe it makes you think of something differently or you hear, you know, a score that is uh, impactful in a way that you thought, oh, well, maybe, you know, I could try similar technique or something like that to, you know, really add an emphasis um on a specific one of the films in Immortality. But, you know, were there any other um, influences for Immortality specifically, whether it be one of the uh, films within it or just an overall opening score of that, whether it be, you know, other music or film in general? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, I think um, Minsky, the other film, one of the other films is a 1970s New York City set thriller. And it was inspired for me musically as well as a film reference. And, you know, I mentioned it to Sam and funnily enough, he said, well, actually I had the same kind of influences was um, Basic Instinct, you know, movies like Basic Instinct, uh, the score by uh, Jerry Goldsmith's amazing. And, uh, and a, Brian De Palma was a reference for us as well. Brian De Palma's Body Double, which is a really slightly cheesy <laughs> late eighties movie, mm. and um, but I remember it had a it really resonated with me when I watched it, uh, you know, growing up, and uh, and it sort of stayed with me. And so um, I brought in the saxophone, you know, as an instrument that I really wanted to write for. And it's slightly seasy. I mean, the, the film Minsky, uh, and that's linked to the theme life. It's about, it's very hedonistic. It captures um, sensory cinema in a very sensual way. And, um, and so we thought, well, make, we make it kind of sensory and sensual and slightly noir-ish, you know, I, and I've always had a love of, of neo-noir movies and, and music and, um, like the sea of love with Al Pacino and, you know, using the saxophone and, uh, this kind of sexy vibe and, um, so, you know, I incorporated that into, into the orchestral palette. Um, which was fun. It's like a, you know, a decade, like 
an erotic thriller. So, so that was, that was an interesting reference. Um, and then, uh, and, uh, the third film, Two of Everything, um, it's about a pop star and her body double. And uh, it just instantly reminded me of Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner in, um, uh, What's the movie from the late, uh, from the early nineties? Um, the bodyguard, the bodyguard. Yep. <laughs> and, um, and so, uh, so art, that's the theme of art. And that's inspired by this. It's a late uh, mid nineties subversive thriller. And, um, and it's about the idea of, uh, creating art. Uh, which is what Marissa Marcel is trying to do. Uh, but life, but art that lives on forever. So we're trying to capture things in a pure form. Like if you think, I mean, this analogy that Sam gave me was if you think about Picasso painting uh, is one of his great works of art and just sort of repainting the same line over and over again to get perfection. And so it's, it's about the magic the piece of the theme had to be about the magic of creative inspiration. So it's quite positive. But then you get to the subverted form of the theme, which is about realizing that you can never achieve perfection in art. So, you know, if you're a novelist or a writer or a composer, um, you're trying to, it's about the graft, about, you know, the energy and, and you're inspired and you're creative and and once you get in the flow you know you, it's the creativity is coming out of you but then when the subverted form kicks in um it's about torture you know it's like a torturous activity creating art and so that's what the you know the hard graft and toil of working late at night and the failure to achieve perfection and um, and so the music becomes less magical and it becomes heavier and darker. Uh, but the the most fun I had with um, Two of Everything was writing the pop song. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, I just, uh, you know, Sam said, oh, let's have Marissa, uh, she's this pop star, let's give her a pop song. And, uh, and even with the pop song and the lyrics, which uh, Sam... Uh, wrote and then I sort of was tweaking with that and uh, we were playing going backs and forwards. Uh, even the, the lyrics have a connection to the narrative in the game as well. So there are little Easter eggs in there. Um, but, uh, but I, you know, I, I grew up, um, loving early Madonna hits and, uh, Britney Spears hit me baby one more time. And, and so, um, Sam said, you know, it was, a, it was a tough, I think it was probably the biggest challenge I had. You know, Sam said, I want a classic pop song of the nineties. I thought, uh, just like that, you know, <laughs> right. he said, but I don't want it to be so good, you know, <laughs> so slightly, it's a bit of a spoof, you know, and, um, and, um, and it was a lot of fun, you know, I reached Christina Aguilera and, you know, all the, classic divas of the 90s and Madonna and Britney and um, and just to write he wanted something that was really catchy and would become an instant hit so uh, you know that kind of easy sugar-coated pop song um, so so the the lyrics are really cheesy but um, but I had a lot of fun writing something for that and just using all the the synths and the drum machines and the you know the 
um, the the sounds of for, of that era. So so that was um, yeah, I enjoyed uh, two of everything. You know, with the distinctly different sounds that are you know tied to each of those films, the different eras that they're in and whatnot. Um, you know, that sounds like a tremendous undertaking, but it sounds like it was incredibly rewarding. The idea that you get to bounce around between these different things and try different, um, you know, different techniques in these different things for each film to match that. Um, but yeah, you know, with, again, all the congrats to you and the team on the game, because it was something that, uh, you know, really did blow us away, not only just because of the agency, but of this, you know, this creation and this beautiful blending of music with, footage that you know there's always this feeling that something is off but you're not quite sure until you know you start messing around with the film footage and you get that reverted score and then it's oh it's you know one thing actually that i wanted to say about that reverted uh score is that you know while the game doesn't do a lot to there's no like objective markers or anything that's in that traditional sense right the music is really filling in that you know i suppose gap if you will because you're getting these cues and these different audio notes and things that are, oh, that's kind of like the exclamation mark, which, you know, maybe some other FMV games that I've played in the past, it needs to be a little more deliberate or in your face when you're doing something to, you know, give the player that feedback of, oh, you're on the right track because it doesn't have that marriage of the music with the visuals and the sort of cinematic, uh, the cinematic mm-hmm. undertaking and com- combining of uh, those themes and whatnot. But Anita, I want to be mindful of our time. So, you know, it, I've had an absolute pleasure chatting with you. And thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today about immortality. You know, I look forward to enjoying more of your work, whether it be in uh, games or film and television. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a, it's been, um, it's helped me to see, you know, your perspective has helped me to see the game with um, uh, fresh eyes and enemies as well. So, so I appreciate uh, your, your insight too. So thank you for having me today. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you guys next Monday.